I want you to take out your Bibles, and I want to preach the 11th message on the Contending for the Faith series. The Bible says in the book of Jude that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. We are to earnestly contend for the faith. The faith is that understanding of what we believe, and importantly, along with what we believe, why we believe it. You know, it's not enough to know what you believe. We've got to know why. What is there in Scripture? And this is why I believe with all my heart the students of the Word should not just be the pastors. Right, Brother Williams? shouldn't just be the pastors. It should be all of us. There was a time in history where ordinary lay people did not have a Bible. The Bible was entrusted only into the hands of the, the, you know, those who were in leadership in the church. But brothers and sisters, we have multiple Bibles in our homes. We have this translation. I use the NIV because I don't I don't speak King James anymore. Uh, for those of you using King James, I'm sure that you like it. And it is a beautiful translation. Uh, it's known for its beauty in the Old English. But let's face it, we don't, we don't speak in the Old English, do we, anymore? So we get something a little closer to where we are. You might have the New American Standard Version. Great translation. Very, very close to the original Hebrew and Greek. And it's, it's excellent. You might be using the, new Eng, the English Standard Version now. It's a new translation. came out recently. Wonderful. But read it. Study it. Know why you believe what you believe. Amen? Amen. Thank you for that half-hearted... Uh, no, I'm kidding. But what is this 11th message? It is simply this, and we don't have time to get into all the areas of prophecy. We don't, we could not, we, it, would, it would take another series of messages and it could go on and on and on for weeks and weeks. I am not an expert in prophecy, let me put it to you that way. Uh, there are people who have such a command of prophecy. One of my professors, who I think I mentioned last, uh, on October the 31st, he was the guy who, when we walked into class one day on October the 31st, he asked, what day is it? And we all, you know, said Halloween. He said, no, it's Reformation Day. This guy was, he's, a, in my opinion, one of the great prophetic preachers and professors, uh, at least in the denomination that I belong to. There are many people who, are, who understand it in great, great detail. They study it on a regular, regular basis. Uh, I am not an expert. My father was probably more of an expert than I was. He enjoyed, he loved prophecy. He got into it the most. But today I want to deal with one very basic aspect of biblical prophecy, and it is simply this, that Jesus will come again. That Jesus will come again. Today I've entitled this message, Ready or Not, Here I Come. Ready or not, here I come. One of the games that our daughters like to play when they go to the park is hide and seek. Get to the park and, you know, it used to be when, when Jamie was just real little, 
she'd get to the park and immediately would start running and, you know, look around to see if I was going to chase her. And she would always challenge me, you can't catch me. And I would try to run after her. Well, now a bad Achilles uh, later and too many pounds later, I don't run quite so much as I used to. So they say, can we play hide and seek? Fine, play hide and seek. The idea is, and there is standard, as you know, there is standard verbiage, right? You get to 20 or 30, whatever you're counting to, and you say, it's been a long time, hasn't it, for some of you? Come on, get, the, get, get, you know, get with a couple of the kids around here and play, not in the building, but, you know, get, you know, get with your kids and play hide and seek. And if you can't find any, you know, get one of the elderly people in your building and say, let's go play hide and seek. Come on, it'll bring back memories, won't it? Get in touch with that inner kid in you. Ready or not, here I come. The Bible reveals to us this great truth about Jesus Christ, that ready or not, he will come again. He will absolutely come again. In fact, he said so himself. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and I want to read verse 3. These are the very words of Jesus. So he promised this. The Bible says this, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This one verse of Scripture is so loaded and so packed full of good stuff. I'm not going to dwell on this Scripture, but some of the things that we find in Scripture, you've got to spend a long time just on one verse. And this is one of those verses. But I want you to notice the very promise of Jesus who says, I will come back. He says, I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. He said, I'll send the Comforter, send the Holy Spirit. But he says, I am coming back. I want you to know that though I might ascend into heaven, and the Bible says the angels uh, in the book of Acts, as the disciples were standing there watching Jesus as he was ascending up into heaven. Remember, it seems like they're all just standing there watching, looking. They had never seen anything like that before. They'd never seen anybody all of a sudden just start to up, up, and he's gone. And he's up in the clouds. What did the angels say to the disciples? He said, the angels said, why, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? First of all, he told you, you got a job to do now, guys. But he says, why do you stand looking up to, into heaven? He says, this same Jesus who has ascended into heaven will come in like manner. He's going to come in the same way. So there is another promise that Jesus is going to come back. Now... We've got to get into some things about this that I believe are vitally, vitally important for each and every one of us. So now, if you would, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew 24. And the first thing that I want you to notice about this, we're going to take time to read starting 
at verse 36 down through to verse 44. But the Bible indicates this truth about the return of Jesus Christ, and it is this, that we don't know the hour or the day that he will return. We don't know when. So for those who ask, well, when's he coming back? We don't know. In fact, there isn't anybody who knows. But listen to what the Bible says. Let's start reading Matthew 24, starting at verse 36. The Bible says this, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven. Not even the angels are privy to this, nor the Son. It's an amazing thing. But only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Some of us might say, well, you know, one person's going to be in church and another one's going to be in Vegas. That ain't how this reads. They're doing the same thing. The absolute same thing. Therefore, verse 42, keep watch because you do not know on what day our Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. He will come at an hour that you do not expect Him. We don't know the day or the hour. You say, well, is that literally saying we don't know the day or the hour we've actually had? And I've heard this. People say, well, then we can figure out the month. We can figure out the year. We can figure out maybe even the week. No, you can't. That's not what the writer is saying here. This isn't what, what Jesus is saying as, as he is talking about this. He's not saying, well, you can sort of get close enough. No, people have already done so. They have already tried to sort of prognosticate and figure out when Jesus is going to come back, and they have failed. We went through this. A couple of years ago on Tuesday night when we went through the book of 1 Thessalonians, which we'll end up at in a little bit, about the coming of the Lord and how there have been churches who, you know, the pastor basically sets a date for Jesus to come back. He says, why don't everybody just sell your homes, sell your cars, and bring all the money to the church? And on this day, we'll all come to the church and we're going to pray. And they bring their money. This has happened. Bring their money, laid it down, took up the offering, and they're praying and they're praying. And while they were praying, pastor slipped out the side door with all the money and was never seen again. Folks, this is, this is, and this has happened. This is a situation where 
you know, you, you can't get into the, you get into this whole idea of setting dates. Look, if I ever start telling you to sell your, your home, you better just grab me by the neck and throw me into the, the first, you know, bus whizzing by. Because that's just wrong. You can't, you know, you get into setting dates and, well, he's going to come. I remember, you know, many people, January 1st, 2000, remember? Y2K? Oh, great danger. Happened a millennium before. Right around the year before, right around when it was going to turn to the year 1000, there was all a frenzy in society. And of course, there wasn't the mass media at that point that, you know, with television and the computers and all of that, but there was hysteria that the coming of the Lord's going to happen then, a thousand years ago. You see, Jesus himself said, if you get into that kind of thing, you're making a grave mistake. He says, nobody knows the day or the hour. You've got to just be ready. You can't sit there and say, well, I'm going to figure it out. I don't care how many numbers you can come out with in the Bible and how many things that you think mean something regarding the coming of the Lord. Jesus said, you do not know the day or the hour. And so, brothers and sisters, it requires that you and I be ready on a regular and a daily basis. Listen, you don't have to figure out when. When it happens and you're ready, you'll go. Jesus said these words. He said, you know, if the thief or the people, the owners of the house had known what time the thief was going to come, they would have stayed behind and not been robbed. Jesus is going to come in an hour where we don't expect. That's the point that he is trying to make. You imagine so you got a phone call one night at your house. You say, excuse me, I'm just wondering if maybe somewhere around the, you know, the wee hours of the morning, maybe two, three in the morning, I was just wondering if you could just, you know, don't worry about any noises you hear in the house. Um, I'll be there to rob you. I'm going to take, find all your silverware. I've heard you have some fine silver. Uh, if you could just maybe leave your jewelry out where I could get it, that would be wonderful. <laughs> what thief in their right mind ever does that? They don't do that, right? You know, I, I, can I text you when I'm about ready to come? You know, they don't, they don't do that. It's a surprise. It's the element of surprise. That is how the coming of the Lord will be. There will be an element of surprise that will, hey, look, look, for those who are expecting, those who are ready, those who are waiting, those who are eager for His appearing, it will be a wonderful surprise for those who have been fooling around and doing the things of the world and, and hanging with the world and sinning and giving into the flesh. And all of a sudden, there might be another kind of surprise. The Bible says that He's coming back like a thief in the night. He's coming to take those who have chosen to serve him, those who are his. And I want to encourage every person in this place, every young person, every, every older person, if you have yet to give your all to Jesus Christ, here is the reason you need to. You do not want to be left behind when Jesus comes back. Because unlike what your friends and other people might say, what the world has to say, hell is not going to be one big party. It's not. I remember as a kid coming home one day from school. 
This was one of the most terrifying experiences I ever had as a teenager. I was one of those teenagers who, like I just described, was messing around doing my own thing. I, I was pastor's kid, but as a teenager, I wasn't serving the Lord. I wanted to do my own thing. I thought my, old, my, my parents were just old-fashioned. In fact, I think from time to time I called them that. And I, I thought they were. And all of a sudden, I came home that one day from school. I got off the bus, got in the house, and my common, you know, thing was, Mom, I'm home. My mom used to work at the high school, or at, worked at the school. She was one of the cooks in the kitchen. She was always home about a half an hour before I got off, of, off the bus and got home. Came through the door and said, Mom, I'm home. No answer. Said a little louder, Mom, I'm home. Nada. Mom! I, that's how loud I was through the house. Didn't hear a thing, no stirring, no. The stereo was on, just left on. Something was playing. I don't know what it was that was playing. Something was playing on the stereo, then it was left on. And I can't remember, there was something else that was on in the house that was just running. And I, 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 so I picked up the phone. I was like, okay, let me just call the church. We lived right next to the church, but I'm going to call the church and call and see if dad is there. And he would, he would be there. He'll pick up if he's there. He, no answer. I'm like, okay, fine. There's a couple in our church. They, they were in the church for a long time. They're still there. Albert and Leah Hersey. I called Albert and Leah and I called their house, you know, to see if they were home. Not an answer. And man, did I start getting scared. Did I ever get fearful? And I remember running through the house, running, literally saying, Mom, 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 where are you? Where are you? Running through the house. And I got to the steps of where the basement was, and the basement steps come up, and Mom just all of a sudden stands there and goes, What? I said, Oh, there you are. I didn't say why I was freaked out. I'm sure she looked at my face and said, Something is going on here, but I didn't say, Oh, there you are. Just wondering where you were. I thought Jesus had come back and I was messed up. Look, Jesus said these words. He says, two in the field, one will be taken, the other left. The workplace is going to be robbed. The home will be robbed. Schools will be robbed of all who know Jesus Christ. He is coming for those precious jewels, brothers and sisters. Jesus wants us to get this point, that it will be at an hour that you do not expect, and so therefore what kind of lives should we be living? We should be living lives that are pleasing to Jesus Christ, giving our all to Him on a daily basis and walking in faith and walking in the Spirit. He is coming at an hour that you don't expect. He says, ready or not, here I come. And you're not going to have time to figure it out. This is why it's so important for young people to just say, you know what? As old-fashioned as I think mom and dad are, as old-fashioned pastors, I think you are. You know, I'm still going to serve Jesus. I'm going to give him my best. I'm going to give him my all. I'm going to live for him. Look, you don't have to do it exactly like I do it. But as long as the, you do what the Bible says and work out your salvation in fear and trembling and that you live for Jesus Christ, look, you can have the hope of heaven. You can have the hope that when Jesus decides it's time to come back, when it's time, then you need to know you will be ready. Now, 
What will be happening during that time? What will be happening at the time where Jesus is going to come back? Jesus gives us a little bit of a clue as to what's going to be taking place. I want you to turn, uh, look over at verses 37 through 39. The Bible says this, as it was in the days of Noah. Days of Noah. Hmm, What was going on then? Well, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days of Noah, before the flood, here's what was happening. People were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. So what does that indicate? Does that indicate they were just living a party lifestyle? Not necessarily. It just means they were going through life. Eating, drinking, basic things to your existence, basic things to life. Marrying, giving in marriage, basic things in the existence of humanity and the basic things of life. They were just going through ordinary, everyday things. Now, mind you, they were all doing it at a time, and and the Bible also reveals that, yes, there was some kind of a party lifestyle going on during that time. Otherwise, Noah wouldn't have had to build the boat. There was all kinds of evil. There was all kinds of nonsense that was going on. This is why God said, Noah, I'm going to just start over. I want you to build the ark. You take time. You build it. And when you're done, you and your family get inside. And that's what took place. Noah, see, at that time, people were just going about their business. They looked out in the desert, and they saw this big old boat being built. And they thought, where in the world is this thing going to float? Uh, you can imagine this, this big thing was a monstrosity. It was huge. And the Bible lets us know that during that time, Peter reveals to us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So in other words, Noah was hammering away and preaching to people and saying, you know, you got to repent. you got to turn your away from what it is that you're doing. God is going to come and he's going to destroy the earth with a flood. I want you to turn away. You can imagine. You know, they had Noah tours. You know, they probably went out by the ark. Look at that guy. He's nuts. Come on. Let's go. Get in line. Let's see the crazy old man out here building a giant boat in the middle of the desert. Where's he going to float it? But during that whole time, Noah is preaching. People are just going about life, going about their business, and that's how it will be at the coming of the Lord. People will just be going about everyday business of life. And the same party lifestyle that was happening during the time of Noah is still happening today, and it's going on, but it will, brothers and sisters, one day come to an end. When people look around and realize, I don't, I don't see so-and-so. Now, let me just stop right here and say, Pastor, are you... Are you preaching that we are not going to have to go through what has been known by, in the Bible and by prophecy uh, experts as the great tribulation? I believe that with Paul when he says that we are not appointed to wrath. That yes, before all of those things take place in the world where the wrath of God will be poured out and there will be evil that will take place on a grand scale that will be uninhibited by the presence of the church, yes, we will be gone. We will be in the presence of Jesus. We absolutely will be. It's not going to happen in the middle, not going to happen at the end. There are great preachers who preach those particular things. I don't find that in Scripture. I find that we, brothers and sisters, as the church, are taken out of the world before all of that takes place. But up until that time, there's all kinds of craziness that's going on. 
and people are just going about their daily business and all kinds of things are happening and everything is going on around them that, that causes people to just say, well, you know what? People have been saying for years that Jesus was coming back and where are we today? We're still in the same spot. Ha! Peter said these words. He says, don't count that as slackness. Because with the Lord, a thousand years is as one day, and one day is as a thousand years. Don't look at that and say, well, you know, it hasn't happened. So, you know, clearly it's not going to. No, if it hasn't happened, and they were saying it years ago, how much closer are we to that happening now? That's how we have to view it. People will be caught up in all kinds of things as it was in the days of Noah. Jesus is absolutely coming soon. We can't allow ourselves to be caught up in the things of this life and the things of the world. The Bible talks about the fact that we must eagerly await. And we must be waiting for and expecting him to come back. And a lot of times we get so tied down to the things of this life and our relationship with Jesus Christ suffers that we don't want him to come back. Like, Lord, you know, can you just wait? But you know what? In many ways, that is an indication of what might actually be happening on the inside of our hearts. We're not drawing near to God. We're drawing further away from him. The closer we get to him, the more we want to see him. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we want to be with Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I recognize you got children. I got children too. I want to see my daughters grow. I want to see them grow into young women. I, want to, I have all kinds of expectations and hopes and dreams for my children. But listen, when Jesus sounds the call and that great trumpet sound comes, listen, there will be no weeping. There will be no lamenting over what you missed out on because you are about to experience something greater than anything you could ever experience in moments of joy on this earth. What are we supposed to do when it comes to the return of Jesus Christ? What are we supposed to do? Verse 42 tells us something. Jesus says that we are to watch. We are to watch. In other words, to keep awake. All right, we need to find somebody for the child and uh, comfort the little one who is afflicted at the moment. They'll be all right. But the Bible says in verse 42 that we need to watch, to keep awake. For Christians, we cannot let this fact slip away. Jesus is coming back. If you fall asleep, you might not be ready. Chapter 25, Jesus tells the, the parable of the virgins waiting. Right? And they had the, the candles, they had the lamps ready. Some had the lamps ready and some didn't. Some got lazy. They fell asleep. We cannot afford to fall asleep spiritually. We are to watch. We are to watch, and it comes from another word which has a deeper meaning of to waken as if from the dead or from disease. Those dead in sin need to wake up. For Jesus is coming back, 
and he is coming in an hour that we don't expect. Listen, the greatest disease of mankind is not AIDS. It isn't cancer. As bad as those things are, the greatest disease that has stricken mankind is a disease known as sin. And is there a cure? The prophet Jeremiah asked. Is there a cure? Yes, there is. There is a bomb in Gilead. There is somebody named Jesus who comes across that sinful heart and he makes it a new heart. But those who are dead in sin, you've got to wake up. It's time to wake up. Jesus says that people will be caught up in this kind of lifestyle, just going through everyday life. He kind of delineates it as well a little bit further when he says there's going to be one person walking in the field, two people walking in the field, one's taken, another is left. They're doing the same thing. They're out there. They're experiencing the same experiences. And all of a sudden, Jesus says they will be gone. One will be taken. One will be left. People, unfortunately, will just be caught up. They will be caught up in their own lives and what they're doing. You know, I've got to work harder. I've got to work more jobs. I, I've got to do all these things to accumulate wealth. And, you know, we get into our relationships and our friendships and all of those things mean more to us in that moment than anything else. And brothers and sisters, I want to let you know that when it comes to the coming of the Lord, we cannot allow ourselves to get so distracted by the things of the world that we are not expecting. Jesus to come back at some point. Their hearts are turned to the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this life. And Jesus said those things come in and they choke out the word. Don't let anything choke out the word of God in your life. Don't let anything get in to choke out any part of your relationship with Jesus Christ because he is coming in an hour that you do not expect. We need to have the heart's cry of John the Apostle as he wrote in the book of Revelation at the very end. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Come quickly. That was his cry then. And here we are a couple thousand years removed from when that was penned. And the cry is still the same. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Jesus tells us to watch, to keep awake. Stay loosely attached to the things of the world. Don't get so close to them that that means so much to you. Listen to what Paul says. He says this, and you don't need to turn there, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. No one engaged in warfare, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why do you think when you go into the military, you go to what's called basic training, and you are theirs? You don't belong to you anymore. Because their understanding is, if you're going to be a true soldier, a good soldier, you are not going to be entangled by all the things that are around that can distract you from being what God what we want you as the government and as a military to be. And brothers and sisters, we cannot get so attached to the things of this world that we miss out and lose out with God. So, here's what we have to understand. The Bible lets us know also, and turn over in your Bibles if you would, to the book of Titus. His coming, the coming of Jesus Christ, is the blessed hope for those who believe. It is the blessed hope for the believer. 
For you and I, it is the blessed hope. His coming is the blessed hope for those who believe. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I better go there. I've got one verse of scripture, but I want to read. I want to read two or three. We read them actually last week, and I want to read them again now. Starting at verse 11 of chapter 2. The Bible says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. That is Christ. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Why? To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Why? Here's why. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here it is. Let me read verse 13 again. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Did you see that? The appearing of Jesus Christ is your blessed hope. This is why the enemy within the church has done his best to shoot down the idea that Jesus is coming back. I remember a number of years ago, I preached at a church in Mexico. Went there to preach at a singles retreat on a weekend. And then on that Sunday morning, was going to preach in the church itself. We had a lovely time. It was a wonderful time. But I remember when I got there and the, the host, my, my friend, uh, I haven't seen or talked to in many, many years, Armando, he said to me, he said, you know, he said, I just want to make you aware when you preach Sunday morning, our church doesn't believe in a rapture. They don't believe that Jesus is coming and going to take people out of the world. They believe that essentially they're just going to make the world better. I said, okay, fine. There's lots to preach on in the scripture. I don't have to preach on that. A lot of things we can talk about. It wasn't a big deal to me other than the fact that I knew, as you look around in the world, how many of us really think the world is getting better? You look around, that is a common, and it still is a common teaching in many churches today that the kingdom of God is right now on earth, and it's just our job as Christians to just usher in this world to be a place where now Jesus can literally come down and live and be and rule and reign for all of eternity. That's not what I see in Scripture. It's not what any of us sees in Scripture. Listen, brothers and sisters, the coming of Jesus Christ is the blessed hope of the believers. And when you begin to take and meddle with that particular doctrine and that particular belief, then hope goes out the door. Once had an evangelist friend of mine say, this is why, this is why the Bible calls this the blessed hope. It is the blessed hope and why the enemy wants to do his best to destroy this doctrine. It's under attack, brothers and sisters, and we need to contend for the faith. We are not going to make this world better and make it so that somehow Jesus can just see that it's just his golden kingdom. All of a sudden, now it's ready. That's not how it works. Jesus has to deal with this world after you and I have been taken out of the world. We're going to see in just a moment how he wants to do that and how he will do that. 
But we have to recognize and understand that this doctrine, this belief is the blessed hope of the believer. You and I have a hope today because at one point, at some point or another, he will come back. And part of that coming is the catching away. I know we call it the rapture. The rapture is not found in the Bible. Please don't think it is. The word rapture is not found there. The word trinity is not found. There are a whole lot of descriptive words that we use to describe various doctrines and things that are there, but those words aren't. That's one of them, but I believe in it. Why? It comes from the word, and let's just go there, shall we? First Thessalonians. Let's go over to First Thessalonians chapter 4. First, the book of First Thessalonians chapter 4. And the Bible says this. We're going to start reading at verse... 13, Paul was writing to combat a particular belief that said Jesus had already come back and there was going to be, uh, essentially, it was all done. It was all over with. And so now those who are currently living have no hope. Paul says that's nonsense. That hasn't happened yet. It is a future event yet to come. It hasn't taken place. And listen how he writes to the Thessalonian church. Starting at verse 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, that is, those who die, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So there was this belief, this understanding that when you die... That's it. You go in the grave and there's no more. It essentially is the, the belief of what some call annihilation. When you're gone, you're gone. And because somehow you're in the grave, somehow God can't do anything with that. We know that 1 Corinthians 15 tells us something different and Paul is trying to teach them, no, that's not the end for them. For those who have died and gone by way of the grave, that is not the end. In fact... They get first dibs on this event. Let's see how. We believe in verse 15. Sorry, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So what's he saying? We're not going first. Those who are in the grave will. Here he goes, verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and here it is, and the dead in Christ will rise first. I recognize today that so often at funerals there is so much false hope given that it, it's, it's almost, it, it, it's so dangerous and even sickening at times. Oh, they're in a better place. They're in a better place. They live like the devil, but somehow at this moment, they're in the better place. I realize that some people want to tell themselves that because they want to have some sort of hope after this life. Here it is. Paul says it. The dead in Christ will rise when? First. Paul says, 
not only does, you know, those who have died, are they going to rise? But guess what? They get to go before you and me who are alive and remain. Isn't that cool? That's so awesome that Jesus will shout. The great command will come from heaven. And the trumpet's going to sound so loud, the dead are going to hear it. The dead in Christ. The dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and are left will be caught up. Now, here is where the idea of a rapture is taught this idea of a catching away will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord where in the air who is the prince of the power of the air right now Satan that's what the Bible reveals I love this verse I was just going over some old notes the other day and I'm about to wrap up this message but I was going over some old notes from Bible college and my professor, Dr. Lundstrom, he says, isn't this a great verse? And here's why it is. Because the devil is the prince of the power of the air. And he says, Jesus is going to come back and meet the saints right on the devil's turf. Where the devil has been in control, he's no longer going to be in control. It's going to be served notice on him that his time has come. His time is about to end. And God is the one who is in charge. And and he is in control. Meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord. How long? Forever. Therefore, he says, encourage each other with these words. There is something that is yet to come, brothers and sisters, that is greater than you and I can even begin to imagine. I don't have time to get into all of the things that we could talk about in this, but 1 Corinthians 15 lets us know that we will have new bodies, that this old body that is, is decaying and it's getting older and it's shutting down and there are aches and pains and all of these things, we got to run to the doctor for this and for that, not going to happen anymore. Why? Because we will have a new body and we will be like him for we will see him as he is. We'll be reunited with loved ones. Am I going to know my loved ones? I believe you absolutely will. See, how do I know this? Well, I understand this at the very least by this one fact. Did not the disciples... Once they were in the presence of Jesus, recognized that it was Jesus. Now, they had a hard time believing it because for many of them, they couldn't believe that after they saw him die on the cross and go into a grave, that he could be resurrected. Once they got over that, that, that assumption that see, he couldn't have risen from the dead, they realized he had risen from the dead. Jesus looked like Jesus. Why wouldn't you and I look like you and I? In the end, it's just, we ain't going to die, folks. All the pains, all the surgeries, forget about it. They're gone. You don't have to worry about them anymore. Brothers and sisters, we have a great hope. We have a wonderful, wonderful hope. It is the blessed hope of the believer. We're going to a place that is more beautiful than any of us could ever imagine. We don't need to, I don't want to take time to turn there, but I want you to just write down Revelation 21 starting at verse 9 and going through to Revelation 22 and verse 5. It talks about that new city. It talks about the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth. And brothers and sisters, when he does it over, it's going to be done for you and for me. It's going to be all done for you and I. We have trusted in him. We have a hope in him. We have something that we have to look forward to. And yes, there are going to be streets of gold and all the descriptives that are used there to describe 
describe this wonderful city. But you know what? In the end, it's not about the streets of gold. It's not about the gates of pearl. It's not about all of the, the, the beautiful things that will be made for you and I. It is about this one thing that in the end, don't you want to see Jesus? Don't you want to see the one who said, I'm going to die on the cross for your sin. I'm going to die on the cross so that you can have everlasting life. In the end, it's not about what kind of place you got, what kind of new digs you got. It's about who is in that place. And let me tell you something. There is, the Bible says, there's no need for, for night or day, the sun or the moon or anything like that, because the Bible says the Lamb is the light. Brothers and sisters, heaven is greater than anything that you and I could ever imagine. But in the end, it is because Jesus will be there. And the Bible says that we will see him face to face. Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I get excited about seeing Jesus face to face. Now, look, you can, you can say, well, I want to have a little face time with this person or that person. You're going to have face time with Jesus. You're going to have face time with the one who gave his all for you and for me. Brothers and sisters, we have to contend for the faith that Jesus is coming back that he absolutely will come back. And on that great day, you're going to get to see him. You're going to get to thank him face to face. Oh, listen, we thank him now because he's here by his spirit. His Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit touched so many here this morning and has ministered to so many. But I want to tell you, that's a drop in the bucket. That doesn't, that doesn't even hardly scratch the surface of what you and I will experience in his presence. Look, as a believer, you don't have to fear anything. If God made you the way that he made you now, if he took care of you and is taking care of you now, don't you think that when it comes to this translation, this thing that will take place in your life, in my life, somewhere along the way, whether you go by way of the grave or you're here and remain when Jesus comes back, don't you think that God is actually absolutely so loving that he will take care of you and it will be more wonderful than anything that you and I could ever ever have imagined he is not going to mess things up no 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 no. he's going to make it better the devil messed it up you and I got in the way mankind Adam and Eve they just they just shot the whole thing down but in the end Jesus is going to change it all and he is going to give us a wonderful wonderful experience of glory brothers and sisters there is nothing that you and I could ever begin to imagine that compares with what is prepared for those who love him. Can we bow our heads right now in this place?